You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. It's good to see you all here. Thank you for joining with us today. We genuinely love to have you here to worship with us, to be part of what's going on and what God is doing. My name is Matt. As Scott said, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of uh, preaching today, and so I'm thankful for that. Um, let me pray for us, and then we will we'll jump on in. God, thank you for being you. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for your word. And God, many times it's so easy to be um, just forgetful of those blessings, that, that you are real, that you are present with your people and that you give us your word. God, by your grace today, let us appreciate those things. Let us see those as gifts that spur us on in the mission that you have for us. God, I pray by your grace that you would help me to only say things that are helpful today, that I would be able to speak clearly what you have for us from Exodus, and that at the end of the day, we would love you more as a result of this, that we would be motivated in right ways to be about your mission, and that you would work in us and through us for your glory as the Village Church. God, we love you so much. Thanks for, thanks for this time together, and we pray this in your name. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word worship? Probably many things come to mind. Maybe you think of, like, Sunday mornings at 1030. Maybe you think of the singing time during a gathering, or maybe a picture comes into your mind of, like, someone maybe even bowing down before a statue or an altar or whatever like that. How we would define worship here is worship is ascribing honor or reverence or worth to someone or something or like worth-ship, giving worth to that thing. And all of us are worshipers, and, and that's what we were made to do from Genesis on. We see this. And I don't know what you think about worship, but when I think about worship, um, I do honestly think about this. There's a memory that's not so great that comes to mind in regards to worship. I was either late high school or early college. I was um, in a church setting. We were singing. There was pews, and so there's people like right in front like there is for you guys. We were standing up. I had congestion the whole last weekend, like, like snot and all this stuff, and, and I was singing, people all around, and I had this just sudden sneeze. I was like, poof, like that, and I kind of regained my composure, and um, I, you know, all was well like that, and then I look up, and I had blown like a penny-sized snot chunk on the next person's in front of me shirt, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you just picture yourself in that moment, like, what am I going to do? So being like the, the person that I am, I, I, good person, I try to be. I point to my brothers and be like, look, look, oh my gosh. And, and then I just leave because there's no way I'm telling the person right in front of me I blew a snot chunk on their shirt. And so that's, that's I do remember that. It's horrible, and I, I don't do that anymore. So if you're sitting in front of me sometime, please don't have any fear that your coat or, or shirt might be ruined by that. Whatever you think about worship, whatever it is, whether it's a lifestyle of obedience to God or blowing snot chunks on the back of someone's shirt, God desires for us, his people, to rightly worship him. In our focal passage today, we're going to look at how God invites his people into his mission of spreading his worship around the world. But if you're new here, before we jump into stuff, or if you, you say this is my home but you haven't been here for a while, we are in the book of Exodus. It's an Old Testament book, and the big picture throughout Exodus is that God is on a mission to bring his people back into relationship with him. He's rescuing people. They were in Egypt, 
and God rescued them out of Egypt through many miracles. They are in the desert right now in a wilderness setting, and God is prepping other people. And we've talked about restitution, and God's shaping a people for himself to reflect him. And in Exodus 23, God gives specific instructions for the mission he has for them. And thousands of years later, for us, God invites us into the same mission of advancing his worship around the world. So as we study this passage, I don't want us to receive this as just information to to know, but to see ourselves in these people today. Let's look at how they respond. Let's look at what God tells them to do. And I want us to show, um, and I'll, sorry, and I want us to show why this matters. And so I'm going to give you just a couple tensions, a couple ways that we miss and why this passage is so helpful for us today. Um, the first way we miss and why we need Exodus 23 today is because our mission maybe is different from God's mission. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I kind of know what God's mission is, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, my life is kind of going this direction. I know that God wants me to emphasize this or think this way or, or be a part of this, but this is kind of what I'm going to do right now. Um, and so maybe your life is characterized by something other than what God would want. It's easy to prioritize all the stuff. And, but like maybe we, we um, shift towards like what feels good or what I think benefits me the most right now. And so maybe our, our mission is different from the mission God has for us. And that's one of those tensions that we have to wrestle with this morning. Second, you might think that obedience to God's mission seems really extreme. In our passage today, God's going to be like, listen carefully. Check this out. Obey me and do it like this. And maybe your view of God is like, gosh, do we really have to do all of that? Like, the way God tells me to live today and asks me to live, is that really necessary? Because I see other people in the world doing it like this, this, and this, and it seems to be working for them. And so why do I need to obey God like that? Maybe you would say, I want to serve God and be on his mission, but do I really have to stop doing this or think like this or obey him in this area of my life? And third, we join God's mission, but maybe it's for our own worship. You say, I'm going to be a part of God's mission, but maybe subconsciously or, or, or not even purposefully, but we join God's mission to make much of ourselves. It'd be easy for me to do that today in, in preaching, that I, I share what God's mission is to you, but all the while I'm hoping that, that you think more highly of me and that that would be the worst thing possible for me to do today. And as you join, as you serve here at the church or as you go out to your workplaces, you might be on mission, but if, if your goal is to, to build yourself up or to come back and say, look what I did or this, then, then we are subverting God's mission. That's not how it's supposed to be. So as we get into the text, flip pages here, I want you to consider our worship and how we think about God's mission. So the main idea, I'd love for you to write this down. I think it'll be on the screens as well. This is kind of like the main idea to think through. God invites his people into his mission to advance his worship around the world. God invites his people into his mission to advance his worship around the world. And um, the first point, if you're taking notes today, the first point is worship demands attention. And here's the background. Again, if you haven't been with us for a while or if you're just kind of getting your head back into where we are, um, God continues to explain the covenant in light of the mission ahead. We've been talking about God making a people for himself, and God is talking to his people earlier in chapters on and saying, if you are to be my people... And if I'm going to be your God, we're going to make a covenant. And what the covenant is, is the people saying, we will do this or live like this. And God's saying, if you do that, then I will do these things. From the Ten Commandments on, God says, I'm going to be your God. Don't have any other gods before me, stuff like that. And God says, if I'm going to be your God, you are going to be my people, then it's supposed to look like this. And what we are reading now in Exodus 23 is continued covenant talk in regards to their mission ahead. So I'm going to read Exodus 23, 20 through 22. 
Follow along if you want to. This is what it says. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. In verse 22, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So God gives them instruction for his mission. He says, here's what God is going to do. And first off, he's like, behold, or check this out, I'm coming with you. That's a good thing for his people. Um, the angel that we read here is Jesus Christ. I've looked at different things, and I can confirm that for you. That's, that's an amazing thing that God, when he sends them on a mission, is present with his people. He's not like, you know, you go do that thing, and I'll be back here, and let me know how it goes. He is present. He's like, check it out. I'm coming with you. I'm going to be present with you. The passage also says that this angel will, will guard you. That's protection along the journey and along in the mission. The angel will also bring you to the place that I prepared. That's, that's provision. And he will go before you to the land and blot out your enemies. So when we stop here, it looks like God is like doing most of the, the heavy lifting, isn't he? He's, he's going to do all these things. He's, he's with them. He's protecting them. He's providing for them. And he's going forth in his power to accomplish what he's asking his people to do. And so here's what he's calling his people to do. Basically, summing it up, it's this. It's, it's pay careful attention to me. Keep your eyes on me and what I want you to do and, and how I'm asking you to live. Verse 21 says, pay careful attention to the angel and obey his voice. Verse 21 continues, says, don't rebel against him or, or what? Or he's not going to overlook your sins. And verse 22 says, carefully obey his voice and do all that he says. So why do you think it's so, so big in God's mind to make sure that his people focus on him? Why does he go out of his way multiple times to say, pay careful attention, look at me, carefully obey all that I'm telling you? It's because God knows that distraction causes people to forget what is important. Isn't that true for your life and my life? Distraction in any part of our lives causes us to, to, to cast our eyes somewhere else or to look other places or to forget what God is inviting us into. You can imagine that the people could easily get distracted by all those things around them and what God is asking them to do. When God says, hey, we're going to take this land, and you're going to go do this, and you're going to you know, have to fight in these wars, the people are probably instantly thinking of other things other than God's power and God's presence being with them. They're thinking probably like, wow, like, man, we just got out of Egypt, and we don't really have an army, so what will this look like? Or our women and children were with us, and we have animals everywhere. How are we supposed to conquer another nation? I'm sure they were easily able to get distracted by those thoughts and forget what God was calling them into. All of a sudden, these peripheral things became bigger in the people's eyes than who God is or what he can do. And if the people give more attention or worth to these other things than, God, than to God, then the worship of God has been shifted from him and who he is in his power to those other things around them. Um, oftentimes we'll ask our kids to, to help out in little ways around the house. And sometimes it's like, hey, can you run this thing to the basement for me? And a lot of times in their minds, they think that there's like an evil villain down there waiting to attack them. And so they don't want to go down to the basement because it's dark, even though we have electricity and all of that stuff. And what happens is um, sometimes I'll just be like mean and say, no, do this or, or we'll, you know, we don't want to know what's going to happen. Or, or sometimes I'll try to be a good dad and be like caring and be like, okay, I'll go down with you. And what happens when I go down there, there's never a bad guy down there. Isn't that crazy how that works out? And, and their fears are subsided. And what, what's going on is not that all of a sudden because I'm there, these bad guys run away. But because I'm there, they, they, my presence is with them. 
they, their, their attention is on me, and those other things that they fear seem to be less or no more. This is the main point for, for um, one, for point one, which is worship demands attention. This is what I want you to know. Worship happens naturally when we see God for who he really is. Worship happens naturally when we see God for who he is on him, and in doing so, see that there is nothing else like him. There's nothing else as powerful or as threatening as God. And God's not threatening, but as powerful as God is. To see that he is the most powerful God. The God that loves them the most through all that he's done for them. The God that cares for them the most. And when they see that he is the most beautiful, sustaining, life-giving thing, that changes how they see everything else around them. And that's why God says, please put your eyes on me. Pay attention to me. Listen to me carefully. When God is accurately seen, the desire to look to other things and to fear them fades away. That is what the covenant and the Ten Commandments were all about. God wants the people to only have eyes for him. And when he says, I'm the only God, there's no other gods, don't even make an image of me, because he wants our eyes not to be on those other things, but on, on him and who he is and what he has done. He's asking the people for their good to keep their eyes on him. And it's easy for me to get this right throughout the week. Man, like if, if you're like me, there's a lot going on. You're probably juggling a couple different things. Maybe it's work or maybe it's life or maybe it's sports or just stress in your life with money or whatever else. And it's easy for our eyes to shift from our relationship with God to shifting to all of those other things around us. And when we do that, those things become bigger in our eyes and more overwhelming because we're looking at those things in our strength and not in God's strength and what he is capable of doing. Setting my attention on who... Um, Sorry, yeah. And also one other thing, this is another example I have that hopefully might help to bring this home. Um, I remember a lot of times when, when my wife would head out for a weekend or something like that, um, there's oftentimes I'll feel lonely. And like sometimes throughout the week I'll be like, man, just for our kids, like I need, to, need a little bit of a break. But this weekend they were out of town and I was missing them. And so I pulled out their journals. And um, I write to them sometimes in these journals. Sometimes they write to me and leave notes. And um, in all the business of the week, you know, I'd been busy and not with them as much, and when I started to read what they had written about me and what I'd written to them, all of a sudden I started to, to remember how they said something to me here with this, or I remember our relationship that we do have, and just being present, being mindful of who they were and what they did stirred up affection for them, and I wanted to be with them, and I saw how good they were, and that just made me miss them all the more. Sending like them, and this is how it is when we set our eyes on God and we remind ourselves of who he is and we put our attention on him. When we see God for who he really is, worship and obedience will be the natural thing to follow. I mentioned this in the intro, but one of our definitions for worship is giving worth to something. So when our attention is placed on him um, and we see that he is the greatest thing of greatest worth, everything else pales in comparison when we accurately see God for who he is. Um, when we sing songs up here, when, when we sing this morning, it's it certainly worship to God through singing, but one of the beauties of singing these songs is because throughout the week we forget sometimes the characteristics of God and why we love him so much and why he is the one true God. And when we are reminded of these things this morning, when we're reminded that, that he is present, that he is caring, all the things we've just sung about, it, it creates this more accurate, clear picture of God, and it stirs our affections for him. So what are you paying attention to? That matters a ton, doesn't it? What are, what are we setting our eyes on throughout the week, each day when we get up in the morning, when we drive home? What are we paying attention to? Because what we give attention to reveals what we worship. What we give attention to reveals, church, what we worship. 
So do you find it hard to worship with God on a Sunday morning in a community group setting or during a Sunday gathering? Do you find it hard to have quiet times with him? Is it hard to want to be on mission? If so, consider this. Maybe then it's because our eyes and ears are distracted by lesser gods, lesser things. We're giving those other things more worth and more weight than the one true God, and it's distracting us from seeing how beautiful he is. So how are we doing? Are you aware? What are those big things in your life that are maybe dragging your attention to those things? We worship what we effortlessly give time and money and energy to. Oftentimes the things that fight for our worship are even good things, like a job, like, like family or relationships, like, like activities that are, that are fun to do and good. And sometimes it is hard to know where our attention is. So here are some questions to consider. So to think through these as I, as I read them out. What do you think of most or listen to the most or read the most? On your, on your feed, when you're texting, if you listen to YouTube stuff or if you have podcasts, what are those things that pop up? And you're, oh, yeah, man, no, whoa, the new thing or this new thing that pops up. What do you read the most? What do you put your eyes and attention towards? What stresses you out or what do you enjoy? What, what could go in your, wrong in your week that all of a sudden, and it just sucks the life out of you? Or what is that thing that happens in the week to all of a sudden your week is the best ever? Consider those things because those might be big factors in your life that may be good things, but maybe are getting too much attention right now. Do you look forward to spending time in church and community? I, I hope that as we get a better picture of God, loving his church and loving community and loving serving will be the result of that. Um, for me... Um, I know that this is, this is true in my life. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I don't always feel like coming to church in the morning or, or preparing for this or going to that. But every time I engage in those things and I see God more accurately, more clearly, I'm reminded of who he is, I genuinely mean this, that I enjoy him more. I want to be with him more. My attention is set on him, and I, I love it. It's good to be refreshed, and my worship for him always grows when my attention is set on him. Worship demands attention, and that's why God asked for that of his people. The next point, point number two, is worship is the mission. In this point, God explains the mission to his people. Point number one was God getting his people's attention. Um, the second point is God outlining the mission. And I'm going to read um, Exodus 23, verses 23 and 24, and they say this. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, Hivites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites and all those Vites, and I blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. Part to play, and we also see the people's part to play. Like in verse 1, God kind of talks about his role, what's happening, his presence, his power, and like this, God kind of starts with owning his part as well. And God's part to play is this. He's going to go in front of his people. And that must have been a welcoming thing for them, right? As God's inviting them to take over this land on mission, he's like, he's going he's to be present, but not just like hanging out in the back. He's going before his people. And God is going to blot out their enemies um, that, are, that are already living in the land. And so that obviously is helpful as well. To God, the, the people know the result, right? It's, it's, it, they're not guessing, like, are we going to win? Or is this going to be successful? God's like, no, I'm going to do this, and it's going to look like this. And the people's part to play is this. We see it in verse 24. There are some do's and some don'ts for the people. And we'll start with the don'ts. God says, don't bow down to their gods or serve them. And what that means, he's saying, look, you're going into this land. 
And these people are going to live a certain way because they serve a certain God. Don't be tempted to act as they do or to live as they are. Don't go, don't go out of your way to think that their gods in this land will have any effect on you for good or for bad. They're not real. God also says, don't do as they do. Don't live like those who don't know the one true God. Why? Because God's people and how they live should look differently. If God and his character is like this, then his people should look like this. And the people that are in this land obviously live under a different God, and their way of living looks drastically different. There's also one big do for obedience for his mission as well, and God says this. He says, overthrow the false gods and break their pillars. God knows that if the people leave these false gods in the land, these idols, these, these places of worship, that they will be an ongoing distraction for his people. His people are not strong enough on their own to continue to keep their attention on the Lord. So God says, you have to wipe out all of these places of worship. Don't let this be a temptation to you now or in the future. And here's why this matters. This is a big point under point number two. The worship of anything else is treason against God and his mission. The worship of anything else is treason against God and his mission amongst other things, amongst other gods, amongst other false gods. False gods, idols, and their places of worship were in direct opposition to God and his mission. Any pagan worship that remained in the land would be a temptation for God's people and undermine the mission of worship that they were on. It would be the equivalent of two kingdoms serving two different gods in a land with two different ideologies, two different ways of living, living together and trying to live together. It, it wouldn't work. One would choose the other or there would be conflict constantly. The mission um, was not just to get some land, but there was and not just physical implications, but the mission was primarily a spiritual mission for God and his people to spread God's worship. And if the people allowed the worship of false gods to continue, it was basically saying that God was just another God amongst all the other false gods. The people's obedience to all of this had real implications as well. Obedience to the mission both protected and spread God's worship, right? So the people's obedience, as God says, listen here, obey my voice, do this, it wasn't just because God's trying to control them. God was asking them to obey, to protect them, to help them, to guard them. The people's obedience to the mission meant removing spiritual temptation from their land, from, from giving something for their eyes to catch on to and distracting them from the one true God. God is forming a community a people, and he wants them to live a certain way. Um, if a foreigner was to go into the land, God wouldn't want all these other places of worship to be there. He wants them to see what worship really looked like. And God wanted, through their obedience, to spread worship as well. The Bible says you will either worship God or worship something else. You can't serve both. You will either worship money or you will either worship God or you will worship some other false God or you will worship the one true God. Please hear this. If you try to worship God and something else, that's already a rejection of God. God's not going to tolerate him being here and another thing being right here receiving worship as well. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we can manage another thing to worship or our sin or that another thing that we are worshiping on the side is not that bad. Living obediently inside of healthy boundaries that God sets up for us is a gift from God to protect us from other things, and to continue to help us live reflecting who God is. So here is application for point number two. Do you see the worship of anything else as a danger? 
If you see the worship of anything else, even a good thing in your life, if it's receiving worship or if it's up there with God, do you see that as a danger or a threat? The worship of anything other than God is like a disease to our souls that we have to rid ourselves of. It's so easy to think that when we hold, on to, hold something up, even just equal to God, that we can manage it or that, that we won't be controlled by it. We can kind of keep it on the side and that we won't be burned by it like the Bible says. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin is no joke and, and, and false worship is no joke and we give ourselves to those things more easily than we would ever like to admit and God knows this. Also, we talk about joining the mission here at the village all the time. And how would you describe it? We try to, to lay it out in, in ways that are helpful and, and meaningful and memorable. Would you describe God's mission as making more worshipers of Jesus Christ? Is that how you would define it? Making and maturing multiplying disciples. That's kind of the other way we talk about it. But literally, it's making worshipers of Jesus. If you're on God's mission and that is your desire, then thanks be to God, and we want you to continue on that. But if that's not how you would have thought about God's mission today, then we get to kind of adjust that, hopefully, by this message and by this passage. We have to see that every part of our lives, in light of making more worshipers of Jesus, so when we go to the store, is our desire just to go to the store? Or is it, man, when I'm out, I know that I will see people or come into contact with people that might not know God, and my, my, my purpose is not just to get them to church, but to make a worshiper of this person by God's grace and with his power. When I, when I go to work, when I parent my kids, whatever it is, is my desire with my work to make more worshipers of Jesus at my work, whether they're Christians or not. Because we can, we can certainly grow someone's worship for the Lord as a Christian, and if they don't know the one true God, then we get to live in a way that reflects God, and we also get to use words as well that would help them. I didn't rescue his people from Egypt just for them to wander around in the wilderness. He invited them into obedience to carry out his mission of worship, and that's what he calls us into today as well. Worship is the mission. We're going to our last point, point number three. God's blessings are meant to spread God's worship. This is a longer passage, and we're not going to go into all the, the implications and deals, but um, this, is, this is the the point of it. God says to his people, serve the Lord your God, and I'm going to bless you. And we'll, we'll break this down because this could all of a sudden trigger, like, you know, we are definitely not health and wealth gospel around here. We'll, we'll talk about what this means in a second. But remember that all of this is in the context of God's covenant that he's making with his people. Previously, in Exodus 19, it sounded like I was going to go into like a show, didn't it? Previously. Um, but Exodus 9, 19, 5 and 6 says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we see in that that's, that's God's desire for his people to bless them. Why? So they just have more stuff? No, it's so that they will be a lighthouse to the other nations. That God will bless them in such a way that the other people look at them and say, wow, that is amazing what God is doing in and through them, and it would um, bring worship to the one true God. So if... The people are to serve the Lord or live like his people, then God will bless them like this. And in this passage, in this section, um, God lays out some of the blessings. And I kind of see these blessings in three different categories. There's physical blessing. Um, God will bless their bread. This is right in the focal passage. God's going to bless what they eat, and he's going to take away their sickness. He said, don't worry about miscarrying. You're going to give long life. All those things are good. They're physical blessings that God is going to give to his people in light of the covenant. 
There's also the blessing of reputation. I believe we can kind of sum it up this way. He says, I'm going to go forth, and there's going to be a terror around you as you enter the land. Other nations are going to be fearful of you. They're going to turn their backs. Um, you will have like, this reputation among you that, that God is with you, and, and there's a force to be reckoned with. The third blessing is there's a blessing of power. God sets for them large borders of land. He's like, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be from here to here to here to the river of this. And land in those days was huge for permanence, for power, for, for owning this section and kind of making it yours. And so those are like the three blessings, um, physical blessing, blessing of reputation, and the blessing of power. And if you know the story of, of how these people work, they're all in right now. But if you've read on, if you know Exodus, or if you've been with us for a while, you know that the people are kind of fickle. And, and you're probably thinking, well, man, like, this all sounds great, but why is God being saying this? Because he knows in a couple chapters from now, they're not going to live up to the covenant that God has set for them. The people were all for it. Um, and in chapters back, they were like, you know, God says, hey, I want you to live like this. And they're like, whatever you do, we're in. We're, that's what we're going to do. Um, and so that takes us to this next point. God wants it to bless his people in an earthly sense so they can bless the world in a spiritual sense. That's the point. This is not health and wealth stuff. This is not, hey, today, if you do this, then God will do this. Or if we obey like this, or if our behavior is like this, then God will do this. God wanted to bless his people in an earthly sense so that his people could be a blessing in a spiritual sense to the rest of the world. The blessing that God gives, um, that God wants to give, are so that his people might bless the other nations. God does want his people to obey, and he does want these blessings to be as incentives. But more than that, the hope would be that when the other nations look at Israel, how they're living, the relationships that they have with their God, and the blessings that they live in, that they might want to worship the one true God as well. They're like, that looks amazing. I want what they have. I want the God that they are serving. Church, we are to think about blessing in the same way. God is a generous God. And chooses to bless his people, but not because we deserve it. The blessings we receive are not to be seen as payment for our faithfulness to God or, or for the people's faithfulness to God, but to be used for God's glory to further his mission. And that changes how we receive blessing today. Because anything that we have here today is a gift from God, right? God has been very kind to this church been kind to me, the fact that I can stand up here, the fact that I'm healthy, the fact that you are sitting here and breathing and have clothes on and, and all that God has given you if, you, have, if you have relationships or money or all the things that you would say, this is a blessing, God has given you that. And how, um, how we use that is changed by, by knowing that these blessings aren't because of us doing something, but because God has been kind to us and wants to give us those things for his purposes to advance worship. The lie is, and I believe this sometimes, and maybe you believe this as well, so think with me on this. The more that I have, the happier I'll be. I don't believe this constantly, but I live in this sometimes. That's why I hoard, or that's maybe why we hoard, or that's why we're not as generous, or that's why we don't distribute and use God's blessings for God's glory. It's because I bind to the lie that if I can get a little bit more of this, if I can better myself here, if I can kind of keep this a little bit, then I will have more joy. Then, then my life will be better because I have more. And that hurts to even say that out loud sometimes. But I think that, that my blessings increase my joy. And what I'm really saying is that I think like this. Um, thinking like this leads me to, to use my blessings to increase my own glory or my own worship, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm building my kingdom by hoarding those things, the blessings that God has given for, for others. And I'm using them for myself. 
So Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20 and he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we would probably all say, well, yes, I agree with this, but how do we actually think differently about this and how do we let this change us to want to do this, to use God's blessings for God's glory? We do this, church, by not trying harder, but by directing our worship back to God, by setting our attention on him, like we said in point number one. Worshiping the one true God and valuing him the most frees us from hoarding the blessings that God gives us. When we see him again as the biggest thing, as the most satisfying thing, we don't have to hoard. We don't have to build up our kingdom or we don't have to think that, that, that God won't take care of us in some way because we know that he's faithful. He's present with us and that frees us to then distribute freely, to let go of things and to use God's blessings the way he wants us to use them. So application for this third point. Give God glory for the blessings he gives. Give God glory for the blessings he gives. And this is so hard to do, right? Sometimes the most natural thing is, is the hardest thing. To, to be thankful for what we get is sometimes so hard to do, right? Because we think that, well, I deserve this, or I earned this, or because of what I did, this is why I have these things. If we have good health today, do we give God thanks for our good health? If we benefit financially, do we support his mission generously? If we have kids, do we teach them how to know and worship this one true God? Everything we have can be used to bring God worship and to make his name known in the world. And if we believe that our behavior is, is how we get these things or why God blesses us, that changes everything as well. To be on God's mission. If, if I'm joining God's mission to get something from God or to get his blessings, I'm going to treat people differently. I'm not going to love like I should. It's going to be a check mark to do and not something to honor God with or to reflect his glory. When we obediently worship God, it protects us from giving our worship to anything else and frees us to generously use God's blessings to spread his worship. God's blessings are meant to spread God's worship. And in closing, I'm going to read Exodus 23, 32, and 33. This is the end, the last two verses of our focal passage today. And it says this, you shall make no covenant with them, with their gods. Oh, sorry. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will certainly be a snare to you. And the point of all this is that this is about God's worship. We see this whole text, there's obedience involved. There's God's mission involved. There are things to do and not to do. But at the end of the day, all of this is for the worship of God. Today, the call is to still worship him alone, to have no other gods before him, and to obediently spread his mission of worship. So how are we doing? How did the people do in Exodus? You probably know, but I'll tell you. Less than 10 chapters from now, they are worshiping a golden calf. Moses goes up on this mountain. He's speaking with God, and God's like, hey, better go down there because um, things, are, things are breaking apart fast. And when Moses goes down there, the people, after hearing God's voice... After seeing him rescue them from Egypt, after God saying, I'm going to be present with you, the people are worshiping a golden calf and saying, this is the thing that rescued us. This is the thing that sustains us. This is what we're going to put our worship into. The people's hammers and tools couldn't destroy all the idols on their mission because the idols weren't all physical. The problem of false worship was far worse than they ever could have imagined. The people had these idols in their hearts as well. It wasn't enough to tear down something out there, to tear down a pillar of worship or to destroy an idol. The idols were far deeper, 
the, the false worship was far worse. It was rooted inside of their hearts, and it's rooted inside of our hearts. There was something in them that longed to worship anything besides the one true God, and that happened like this for them, faster than they would have ever thought. And church, we are just like them today. This is why in the beginning I said, like, I want to see ourselves in these people. And though we don't talk about these people's sin today, we know how it goes. We are these people. We are tempted daily to give our worship to anything other than God. The idols that we worship are rooted deep within our hearts. And John Calvin says it like this, our hearts are an idol factory. And many of us would say, no, no, that's not it. I, I have a genuine love for God. I, I, I want to do this, and, and I'm not going to be tempted by this. Or, or I'm, not, I'm stronger. I'm not going to be swayed by this. And what John Calvin says is our hearts are the things producing these things that our eyes run to, that we give our worship to. And as we read in the earlier part of this focal passage, God is not going to overlook that sin. God says, look up here. Watch me. I'm not going to overlook your sin, and God is not going to overlook our worship of other things as well. So where does this leave us? What is our hope in all of this? How are we ever able to worship God as he wants, destroy the idols in our own hearts, and obediently join him on his mission? The answer is this, and you might have known where I'm going here if you've been here for a while, but our hope is in Jesus, who is the better and more faithful worshiper. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to one more passage. If you turn to Matthew um, chapter 4, give you a moment to go there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we'll, we'll read to verse 9. And this might seem like a random passage at first, but I want to tie this all together with this. Jesus came to this earth on a mission. He was led out to, to the wilderness, as we'll see, and he was offered three different types of blessings as well. So I'm going to read chapter, nine, or, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 9, and see if this makes any connections for us. This is Matthew 4. And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, as the people were as well, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, that Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then... The devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And in verse 7, Jesus says to him, Again it is written, You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. So let's stop there for a second. Jesus was offered the same blessings that the people were offered in the Bible. He was offered food, right? The, Bible, the devil said, hey, turn these rocks into bread. That's, that's sustenance, that's physical blessing. And then he would, you know, worship me in this way and I will do this for you. He was offered recognition, right? Satan told him, hey, if you go up to the highest point of the, of the, of the tower and where they worship, and you throw yourself down, won't that be amazing if everyone sees you do that and your angels catch you? What a spectacle that will be. That will create recognition. That will create um, a bigger name for yourself. And that will build with all the kingdoms of the world. That's power. These are the same blessings in, in, in very similar form that, that God offered his people if, for their obedience and their worship as well. Satan flips the script and says to Jesus, if you were, and let's look at how Jesus responds. 
in Matthew 4, verse 10, let's finish this little section, says this, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This sounds like the covenant talk again, doesn't it? Jesus lived perfectly in the same areas that, that God called his people to live perfectly in. Jesus fulfilled both sides of the covenant, and that's the amazing thing. That's our hope this morning, that even though we were not able to fulfill our part of the covenant or to live in a way that God wants, Jesus did that for us. Being God, he fulfilled his promise to make a people for himself and to bless them. And becoming also a man, he added to himself um, human form. He remained obedient to his father in the mission of worship he was sent on and secured God's blessing for us. He did what we couldn't do. He didn't give in to the temptation of false worship, and he obediently completed his mission by going to the cross and was punished for our unfaithfulness to God, for the lack of worship that we give to God, for how our eyes stray to anything else. And in doing this, he secures the spiritual blessing for us by being a son or daughter of God. Because he did this, because he worshiped well, we get to be invited into God's family. We get to enjoy the blessing of knowing God and being called a son or daughter of the king. Knowing that Jesus did all this for us frees us to rightly worship God and join his mission of spreading his worship around the world. God invites his people into mission to advance his worship around the world. Um, and that's what we invite you into today. Um, I'm, I'm finished with the message. The band can come on up if they want to. We're gonna go, I want you to think through not just the things I've said, but this passage of Scripture. This morning, what, what are you thinking through? What, what is our attention being pointed towards this morning? There will be some, some questions on the screen in just a little bit. Um, we invite you to pray with someone. There will be someone by the red tree over there, and me and my wife will be kind of in this little section over there. That's a, that's a way to respond. You can pray to pray with, not pray to us, pray with us, and we'll pray for you. You can share if it's a physical need or a spiritual need. We would love to talk with you about those things. You can also pray in your seats or by the prayer bench over there. And, and also, if, for, if you're in Christ, we invite you to take communion this morning, the juice being a representation of Jesus' blood that he shed for our unfaithfulness and our, our lack of worship for him, and, and the, the bread being representation of his body broken for us as well. So I'm going to pray for us and invite you to respond in however way God leads this morning. God, thanks um, for fulfilling both parts of the covenant. God, you remain faithful when we are not faithful, when we're not able to be faithful. God, thanks that you don't leave your people, but you are present with your people, advancing your mission in your power giving us all the provision in the world. And God, what you invite us to do this morning is to set our eyes on you and to see that you are the greatest thing, the most powerful thing, the most beautiful thing, the most sustaining thing. And God, by your grace, let us worship you more fully as a result of that. Guard us from these other things that capture our attention. And God, even as we hear the band right now, let us respond in worship through song. We love you. We thank you for what you have done, and we trust you for what you will do in and through us in the Village Church in Hamilton, Ohio. And we pray this in your name.